Um, we are going to be continuing our series uh, through Joshua, the book of Joshua. Uh, the title of this sermon series is God Fulfills His Promise. And I just want to remind you, if you have missed any of the previous teachings, you can go on our website or yeah, you can uh, do any of the podcast apps that you use on your phone to go back and see those uh, particular messages that you missed so that you can see as we're going through the book of Joshua, we are going verse by verse. We are not skipping any of the verses. We're consuming the Bible as it was written. And so you, uh, you want to see how it all connects together. And I find it fascinating just for me personally, just something I just want to say to you guys. Uh, we are um, in a midweek Bible study in the book of Isaiah. And it was amazing to me how many times I referenced Joshua and Jonah in the Isaiah teaching, and I had to keep apologizing, but it's all connected. And so that's what you want to see. You want to see how the Bible just leans in on itself, and the truth that is lent from the Old Testament to the New Testament is completely consistent all the way through, and that's what's so wonderful about the Bible. Just to catch you up, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 8, and the title of today's sermon is Victory in Defeat, but more and better, I should say Victory from Defeat. Uh, we are going to be continuing the story where Pastor Ryan left off from Joshua chapter 7, where we saw that they made a huge mistake, right? There was a gentleman who kept some of the plunder that came from Jericho, and he shouldn't have, and that's exactly what God said not to do. He said through the, the principle of first fruits, Jericho will be the city that you give everything to me and to my storehouse, and then you can keep the rest of all the other conquests. So that's all you gotta do, but there was one particular guy who said, nope, I need a little bit for me, and he actually uh, put a curse on them moving forward towards uh, AE, um, which is the next city. The reason why I want to bring this up is I want you to understand something that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the Bible real quick in a recap. Uh, Initially, God uh, created the world. We all understand that through Genesis, Adam and Eve, and then from there, God finally made a covenant with one particular man because sin had entered in through Adam. And now God had made a covenant with his people and made a covenant with Abraham and said, I'm going to start a nation through you. And then through that covenant, he, he passed it down to his son Isaac and to his son Jacob. And then what happened is during the time of Jacob, uh, he, he lost one son. He thought he lost a son, but his son, went dead. Joseph, went down to Egypt and actually became the second in command of, over all of Egypt because during that time he had a prophecy or the Pharaoh had a prophecy and Joseph was able to interpret it and then able to prevent Egypt from falling into a famine. Well, the whole region fell into famine. But what happened is it brought Jacob down to Joseph. And so the nation of Israel is now down in Egypt, and they flourished there. But the Egyptians got scared of them and said, you know what? We're going to have to subjugate these people. If they rise up against us, there's nothing we're going to be able to do. Wherever they go, they flourish. And so they were put into captivity. During that time, then comes Moses, right? And then Moses is the mouthpiece of the Lord, and then they're set free. And God is still keeping close to his covenant, is he not? He says, I'm going to walk you out of here. And he did just that, didn't he? He sent 10 plagues to the Egyptians. They walked all the way through the Red Sea. Understand, Egyptians came up behind him and said, no, thank you. We want you back. And then God let the Israelites go through the Red Sea. He actually parted it, put them into the wilderness in Mount Sinai or the Sinai Peninsula, And then he closed the ocean on top of the Egyptians so the enemy was no more. And so for 40 years, the people of Israel would walk around the Sinai Peninsula. And it was now finally after Moses' death, and there's only two people back from the original crew. So all the people that are now marching with Joshua into the promised land are all the children 
of the people of that generation. So there's only two left, and that's Joshua and Caleb. And so Joshua is their leader. And Joshua is the leader that is leading them into a new way of life. You understand that God is the same person and his principles are the same, but he will do a new thing in your life, right? And so what we're seeing is Joshua, which I can say to you, probably the most daunting position is take over for Moses, the guy that personally met with the Lord, right? The only guy to go up in the mountain and got to see the trail end of the Lord, right? He would come down glowing like a light bulb. That's the guy that you have to replace, And so Joshua is now walking into this situation, but understand he's still walking into new territory. And not just metaphor, you know, physically, but also metaphorically, he's walking into Israel, but he's walking into a place where Israel has never been before. They've never been a nation, and they've never led a military conquest like this into the promised land where God has already said, I've given it to you, right? So we're going to be kind of rough with Joshua tonight. We're also going to be very kind to Joshua as he does this, but... I want you to know this is where God would put out this command of the law of first fruits. This is an Old Testament command where the Lord says, whatever comes in first belongs to me, and then you keep the rest. We can see this is how it took place um, also with Cain and Abel, right? You know, this is, you're supposed to give me what I ask, and if you don't, then you are misappropriating the things that I've given you. So this is all about uh, following the Lord through his promises. The reason I bring this up is, to understand that we are a people of covenant. Has, has Jesus made a covenant with us? Then we are a people of covenant. Has God made good on his covenant? You have received salvation. You have received restoration and sanctification. And then one day you will walk out of this life into the next life, whether it's through the rapture or through death, and you will receive all the inheritance that belongs to Jesus, which has now been given to you. But you pass by those promises through obedience and faith. And I want you to see that that is the ongoing theme for this particular chapter. Um, I just want you to remind you also when you see this too, is that God gave Achan. Achan was the man who kept the plunder from Jericho that he shouldn't have done that, right? Achan had a chance to repent, but he didn't because he wanted to hide his sin. Um, This is not going to be a a sermon about, you know, tithe and offering, but there has been places and time in my life, and I'm just putting myself out there to be vulnerable in front of you, where I've heard the call of the Lord in my life to take this money and bless somebody with it or bless the church with it, or this is what I've asked from you, and I have not done it. And I would say to you, I want you to hear this word because this word's going to show up. I have misappropriated the blessing that the Lord has given me because he asked for it back. It was never actually mine. It was mine to steward. It was my responsibility. It wasn't my ownership. You understand? And so what we're seeing here is we have Achan has a pro, an actual opportunity to not misappropriate the blessing of the Lord. And so what happened is that he actually had to be taken out in his whole family. Remember the, the people of Joshua or Joshua's soldiers had to go and take them and kill and burn the whole family. Because why? They suffered judgment against the sin against God. Now, I know that's a Debbie Downer, right, to start off a sermon because we haven't even touched the scripture yet. But I want to put up this, this, uh, this slide Um, And it's in a quote from Henry Ford. And I love it because I think it's really important for us as Christians who who failed. By the way, has anyone ever failed in this room? Has anyone ever sinned? I'm not going to ask you today, but has anybody sinned this month? (laughs) Right? But here's where it goes. This is what I love. Henry Ford says this. The only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. If you understand that God is beginning a good work in you and going to continue that good work, that he's going to work it to completion, as Philippians says to us, right? 
what we need to realize that this is an ongoing theme throughout all of Scripture. People will make mistakes. How many times do the disciples make mistakes to Jesus' face? I know we don't ever, like, if you've seen The Chosen, there's some acting there. But when I read the Bible, I just picture Jesus, like, ultra disappointed all the time. You know, because, like, you know, Jesus is like, go out there and save people. Like, I'm going to send you two by two and go on a mission trip and heal the people and bring them about salvation. And then the disciples come back and go, God, give us, like, lightning in our hands so we can shock these people because they rejected us. And he's like, oh, I just... Is there any 12 other Jewish guys I could use? You know, like, that's how I picture it. But aren't you glad that in the scripture, God, Jesus, never gave up on them? Never gave up on them when they gave up on him, right? They abandoned him. And then think about this, Jesus walking down the shore after Peter returned back to fishing, after Jesus was dead, buried, and resurrected, right? Peter, feed my sheep. The job has never changed. I'm not giving up on you. It's so amazing to me how God passionately pursues us. Now, I want to remind you, this is not also an Old Testament uh, theme, but it's also a New Testament theme. I don't know if you remember in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. If you know this story, you might already know this story, but if you don't, they were people who wanted to gain the glory of the church. They wanted to sell a piece of property, take the money, bring it to the church, and look at how wonderful this is. Well, what they didn't uh, tell Peter at the time, Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus who's now running the church. They come to and they go, hey, here's, here's all the money. We sold this piece of land, just outright sold it. But what they didn't tell Peter is they held some of it back. So the word that actually comes through is they didn't just hold it back. They misappropriated the blessing of the Lord. See, the Lord blessed them with that land. And it's not really about the value of what they gave. Like you could give $100, you could give a million dollars, you could give $1 to the Lord. It's not about the value, it's about the heart. Remember when the, when the widow showed up and the Lord was they were like, oh, look at this widow. She put two widows mitre in the collection in the Pharisees. Look at this, look at this lady. She doesn't give anything. The Lord's like, Jesus said, she gave more than anybody. She didn't even have that to give, but out of her heart she gave, right? And so this is where this principle comes into place is that these people lied to Peter and they both died because they misappropriated the funds of what God gave them. And they misrepresented it because they actually wanted to steal the glory. They wanted the glory. They want everyone to turn to them and go, look how wonderful you people are. But that's not what they were doing. They, were, they had selfish means and selfish goals, and so their heart was not in the right place. Now, I just only brought that up so you can see there's an Old Testament case for this, but there's also a New Testament case for this. But just understand, if you were here today and you like kept a dollar out of the, the basket, you're not going to get struck dead, and that's not what I'm preaching. This is just a principle of what God says. Most of what sets in the Bible is a principle that God is showing from his heart, but it's not a pattern or prescription for our lives because I will tell you, like I said, I made myself vulnerable. There was times that I have held back from the Lord because I was so fearful of, you know, holding on to this cash because I couldn't live without it, and yet I'm still alive. The the reason I bring this to you is, is God wants you to see how your heart should be being presented to him as he presents his heart to you. So keep that in the back of your mind as we follow through from the defeat of Ai, which is the city before, to now we're going into chapter 8. And this is an encouragement that comes from the Lord. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. But then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I just want to remind you before we go any further, if you can remember what I said last time, there was 365 encouragements from the Lord in the Bible that say, do not be afraid. I don't think that's a mistake. 
uh, that God will put 365. Every day you should wake up and be reminded that the Lord is encouraging you to move forward. And I love that. Isn't that a great? We just had this huge mistake. The army of Israel failed in their initial attack towards Ai. Because why? Because Achan was holding on to the, to the plunder that he shouldn't. And so God didn't bless this, this, uh, this uh, campaign towards Ai. He actually cursed it. But now we're on a new page. We're on a new day. Yeah, we messed up yesterday. Yeah, we had a defeat yesterday. But what's God saying today? Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm going with you. Look at the next part. Now God's going to lay out some strategy. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai as his king, as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush into the city. So we're going to put up a, just a, a picture for you really quick so you can see it. I know it's really might be hard to see from where you're at, but I'm going to do this. I know I'm really, really short. I'm like hobbit short. But you can see this is the Jordan River right here, this big line that goes all the way up. And right here is where they started. Uh, and then they crossed right over here into Jericho. You can see Jer Jericho's right here in Gilgal. And they're headed over to AE right here. So you can see that the, the actual way that they came in was right across the Jordan River, you know, just crossing as God gave them the miracle. And then they moved through Jericho, and now they're already moved here. At the top, you can see those two mountains. Those are the two mountains that we're going to end this chapter. And if we could just leave that up, I just want to show you, if you could look at that map, and as you guys know, have ever seen a map of Israel, it's like the size of New Jersey, right? It's, it's like, it's not the biggest country in the region, but as you can see on the map, it's just a walk over there. Now, the reason why I want to remind you uh, why that little walk is so important is that's the walk that A couldn't, couldn't go any longer without stealing from the Lord. If he had just waited to walk from Jericho to AE, he would have got probably everything that he wanted to look for. I just want to let you know what he actually stole. He stole about 200 shekels or about five pounds of silver. That's worth about $1,400 today. And a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, which is about a pound and a quarter, that's worth about $28,000 today. And a beautiful Babylonian robe. Now, I had to guesstimate on what beautiful Babylonian robes are worth today. I did some research, and it was kind of boring for me. Probably not for Jackie, my wife. She probably would love that research. But um, this is about $31,000. Is your relationship with God worth $31,000? Here's the irony of it. If Achan had just waited... If he had just listened to the Lord and he had just waited, he probably would have had more than he just desired from Jericho. He probably would have had more than he could possibly imagine that the Lord was going to bless him. This is kind of a strong indication of how God feels about your sin and how God feels about your obedience. Just think about this. Because of Achan's sin, he had to be destroyed. But had Achan listened, if, hey, let's put even these in this context. If Achan had even just repented, gave everything back, and then threw himself at the mercy of the Lord, what if he was now in the position of receiving the blessings of the Lord? Have you ever been in that position? Have you been in that position to fail before the Lord and still be blessed by the Lord? It is amazing to me how serious God takes sin, but how serious he takes his obedience. Which brings us to our first point. God's blessings line the path of faith and obedience. If you are wanting to write some more notes, you could also say the opposite. God's curses line the path of no faith and disobedience, if you wanted to put it that way. But what he stole in secret, what Achan stole in secret, 
would have been surpassed by what the Lord was going to give him, right? So there is such a point that God is making here, a principle that God is pointing out. We would have such great favor and blessing from the Lord if only we would listen. That's it. We're moving into chapter 8, and who's setting the strategy to attack the city? God. Who's already going to deliver A.E. into the hands of Joshua? God. What is Joshua's job? Listen. Listen and obey. Every day we have one option, to listen to the Lord or not listen to the Lord. To suit up and show up or go our own way. That's, that's pretty much it. But now that sin has actually been purged from Israel, I like this name, mistaken Achan, right? His sin no longer affects Israel. Understand that your sin could bring calamity to not only you, but to your family, to your friends, to your church. Imagine if, and I just want you to put this in a sobering kind of way, imagine if every single one of us, myself included, every single one of us put God first in every single situation of every single day, what kind of a church we would have. And I don't mean just Calvary Chapel, Sebastian. I mean the big C church, the overall church. And But I love that God is not stopping. The sin did an effect, right? The, the, the nation of Israel was held accountable. Achan was held accountable. But is God stopping? Is he walking around disappointed? Is he walking around moping like, oh, I have the worst nation in the planet. I should have picked, should have picked somebody else. I should have picked like the, the Irish or the Chinese. They would have been so much better. No, what is he going? The Lord is going, hey, embrace the word of the Lord. Don't be discouraged. Let's move forward. I love that. So if you have made a mistake, if you're in the middle of making a mistake, if you're suffering from the consequences of your mistake, understand what the Lord is saying to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I have a plan, and we are moving up and moving on. So don't make the mistake of wallowing where you're at. If you are in a bad place today, it's okay to acknowledge that. It's not okay to stay there. Because God doesn't want to stay there. God has a plan. I want you to see where that plan falls out to be in verse 3. He says in verse 3, So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Do not go very far from it. All of you be on alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city when the men come out against us. As they did, they, we will flee from them and they will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, they are running, from, running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city and the Lord your God will give it into your hands. So the strategy came from the Lord and the victory comes from the Lord. Verse eight, and when you have taken the city, set it on fire and do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. I love that Joshua is immediately not hesitating. He's not questioning the Lord, right? He's not, there's no issue. I have heard from the Lord. Yes, yesterday we blew it. And in fact, Joshua is learning as a leader too. Why? Because initially he didn't seek the, the word of the Lord to go on the initial attack of AIE, Right? He was just like, let's go. Well, well, it's not up there now, but when we're leaving Jericho, we let's just go. We're on to the next city, right? Let's not stop. Let's not stop and hear from the Lord. And so at this particular time, what is he doing? Wait, the Lord has spoken. The Lord has delivered victory. There's no more hesitation. I'm listening. I'm obeying. And then what is he setting the example to his guys? As I hear from the Lord, you hear from the Lord. I'm obeying. You're obeying. Let's go. That's great leadership. I love it. Seven, not so great leadership. Chapter eight. 
Great leadership. So what yesterday's defeats don't define today's victories, right? Let's move forward. Verse 9. And then Joshua sent them off. And when they went to the place of an ambush and lay in between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai, but Joshua spent that night with the people. And early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. And the entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. And they set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. And Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. And so the soldiers took up their positions with the main camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. And that night Joshua went into the valley. And when the king of Ai saw this, he and all of his men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking Arabah. And but he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled toward the wilderness. And all the men of Ai were called to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. And not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. Look at that. The Lord has now delivered about, about two cities now. One city by yourself you lost against, right? Lord's delivering two cities. Isn't that amazing? Look at the next part. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. And so I love this. Joshua had successfully done the strategy of the Lord. He laid the decoy in the ambush. The city is actually surrounded, if you can imagine this. 30,000 guys are weighing in late, while 5,000 guys are the decoy, the bait, and retreating, right? And so everybody's in hot pursuit. Because why? We beat them once. The famous Israel army, right? Remember when, when, when uh, Joshua and his army got to Jericho, Rahab had said, our hearts had melted, because of fear, because we heard what happened at the Red Sea, which, mind you, was 40 years ago. And then we heard the other victories that you had had. So everybody in the region was aware that God's army had showed up and was blessed by God. But now Ai is getting bold because they've seen defeat. The enemy has seen the defeat of the people, and they don't know why they've defeated them, but they're just weaker than they were before, and so now they're in hot pursuit. But today is a different day because the people of God are full of the word of the Lord. Look at verse 18. And then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. And so Joshua held out toward the city the javelin that was in his hand. And as soon as he did this, the men in ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. And the men of Ai looked back and they saw the smoke of the city rising up in the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites who had been fleeing toward the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all of Israel saw the ambush had taken the city and the smoke was going up from it, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. And those in ambush also came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the middle." With Israelites on both sides, Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. And when Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites turned, returned to kill to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. So something that you can kind of understand um, that is inside of this is that this is the same justice that he would pour out 
towards Jericho, right? Was there somebody in Jericho that repented and turned their heart toward the Lord? Absolutely. It was Rahab and, his, and her family. And as they turned to the Lord, what did the Lord do? He saved them from his wrath. It wasn't the wrath of Israel. Israel is nothing without God. We've already seen that. In chapter 7, they went towards Ai without God. And what did they do? They took on casualties for the first time. They failed. They retreated. They were embarrassed. The, like the, the mythical Israeli army that had done all these great things was no longer in the head of the enemy. Why? Because they had beaten them, but they had beaten them because they were without the Lord. But today is a different day. They are full of the word of the Lord and they're marching forward. And so you can understand that God's justice is very real for us, but God's mercy is also very real for us. It can seem very harsh to us that God would say, wipe out all of these people, but understand this is the land of Canaan and Canaan was not unknown to the Lord and the Lord was not unknown to them. In fact, they were actually challenging God's people. Uh, even though Rahab said our hearts were melting with fear, they knew for a fact that these people were blessed by God, the creator of heaven and earth. But they were saying, well, maybe there's a way. Didn't Lucifer say that? Maybe there's a way that I could be worshiped. Maybe there's a way that I could eke out a little piece of heaven or maybe I, doesn't matter. People will always try to be selfish. Look at Achan. And so these particular people have said to, uh, to God, we don't want you. God had given them from Abraham's time till now an opportunity to repent, but was the Lord slow to his wrath? Absolutely, from Abraham's time till now. We're going past 400 years. So we've had plenty of opportunity. Remember the people of Nineveh in the book of Jonah? Were they unknown to God? No, they gave their hearts to God. Now, in the future, their children would turn against God. But that generation that Jonah preached to gave their heart to the Lord so that their children would know about the Lord so that when his wrath came, it wasn't like they were unknown. Who's God? No, 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 we know who God is. Do you remember the day in the book of Jonah when the king came down and made a proclamation? We're all gonna fast because God said he would destroy us in 40 days. This was not an unknown God. I, I just wanna just remind you that I get into these arguments a lot. I'm in the youth ministry and I go to the high school and the middle school, and I always get this argument about God's justice. Is God's justice really just? Because why would he wipe out all these people? And people always kind of point to Noah and the ark. Why would, why would he just put these few people on the ark with all the animals? They have this awesome little zoo in there, and they're just a handful of people. But why would he destroy everybody else? You understand that Noah was building that ark for a long time. And for a long time, while he was swinging a hammer, he was talking about God's love and forgiveness. Did anybody take him up on it? Could somebody take a like, oh yeah, I hear you, Noah, that's right. I am a sinner. Let me on the boat. I'll go with you. I'll go wherever God goes. But did anybody know they just laughed at him? They rejected the word of the Lord. And remind you, in Jonah, it says it in this way, 2.9, but I will shout of grateful praise, will sacrifice you what I have vowed and I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. This is how we are to digest God's justice and his mercy. All salvation comes from the Lord. How are we saved from God's wrath? From his mercy. Every day, I want to remind you, we are reconciled by God's mercy from God's perfect justice. Every single person in AE, everybody in the middle of Jericho, including everybody in this room right now, we were all sinful people, right? We're all sinful people. And I love it how quickly, especially when my wife reminds me of this, uh, how when somebody does something wrong to me on the road, how I want street justice so bad, right? 
I want street justice, but when I do something wrong, how quick I am to move towards mercy, right? It's so totally different. That's totally different. That's totally different, guys. You know in context what it meant when I cut off that guy. That was different, right, you know? But the, the truth of it is, is that all of us are sinners and fallen short of the glory of the Lord, and all of us are under the consequence of sin, and the wages of sin is right. And so Jesus came to make intercession for us because we are owed death, right? We are all owed God's perfect justice. How are we saved by that intercession? By the love of Jesus on the cross. His blood was shed, so his death, he became our curse. He became the curse of our death. And so when we look at the cross, we can see two things that are happening. First, I have to acknowledge my sin put Jesus up there because Jesus was perfect. He that knew no sin became sin. Understand that. He that knew no sin became your sin. And then what did he do? He administered mercy on top of your sin because you would not stop being sinful. That is why every day we look at this particular slide. Oh, let's go back one real quick. Go back to the slide. Every day we're being reconciled by God, uh, God's mercy from his perfect justice. And I want to understand how this looks. When you were saved, the blood of Jesus Christ covered your heart. But do you remember at the time of the Passover what Jesus did? He got down on his hands and knees, pulled up an apron and a bowl of water and started washing the feet of the apostles to say why. Every day I'm going to have to do this. Every day you're going to have to do this. Every day you're going to have to forget the forgiveness for your sin because you are owed wrath, but I have to come down here and wash. The same power that brought you salvation is the same power that moves you through sanctification. Do you guys understand that when you became a Christian, you didn't automatically become a Christian Jedi black belt, right? Like you weren't just floating and grace and mercy was just shooting out from you from all directions. There was work that had to be done, right? Who's still being worked on to this day? Why? Because daily the Lord is washing us. Daily the Lord is reconciling us. So this is not about perfection. Don't look at anybody else's life and try to compare it. Look at what God has done from the first day to this day. And see what kind of reconciliation he's done by his grace by pulling you closer to him in every way. Yes, you've made mistakes. Yes, you've made failures. Yes, you're a sinner. But that's why God is here pouring out mercy. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to. Look at these verses on the screen. Romans 5, 9 would say this, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Every day we are being reconciled. And look at verses Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're in the middle of a chapter of the book of the Bible that's talking about people who previously had just sinned and failed. Right? Sinned and failed. But what is the Bible talking about? God is saying, don't be discouraged. It's time to move on. We've acknowledged the mistake. We're hearing from the Lord, and now we're doing what's right. This is what righteousness is, to be made right with the Lord. And the Lord is saying here, don't stand in condemnation. That's of the enemy. Don't belittle the work that Jesus has already done on the cross. If you have secret sin that's in your life today, if you are struggling with something you can't get rid of, have your church family rally around you and pray with you. Don't be embarrassed. You will not make the pastors or the prayer partners here flinch. What God wants is real, true salvation, which needs to come to your heart. You can't hide anything from the Lord. So understand this. As you see those verses on the screen, God remains holy because your sin doesn't come in contact with Father God, right? Yet we're introduced to the depth 
of his love and his heart for us, where? On the cross, because Christ Jesus, who is God, became your sin. He became your curse. And now what do we have out of that? Look at, look at that, that, that first verse, Romans 5, 9. We've been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Daily, I'm at peace with God because God had already settled his wrath on the cross. Daily, my mistakes are wiped away by the cross. Daily, I have to confront that I am a sinner, but daily, there is no wrath. There is no condemnation. There is just peace between me and the Father. So God's justice remains real, doesn't it? But how much more does his mercy become so much more real to us as all the sin and the punishment of sin slides off our back onto Jesus? Amazing. Verse 26. Thank you, Lord, for all that. For Jesus did not draw back the... Or sorry, sorry, Jesus. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry for themselves the livestock and the plunder of the city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins. Funny word, Ai actually translates into ruins. I don't know if that was a prophecy, but that's kind of funny that it happened that way. A desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. And at sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. This brings us to our next point. Our places of defeat can become places of victory through obedience and listening to God. It's kind of incredible how God can take what the enemy would use for evil and turn it to good. You know how we sing that song all the time in here? It's Think about where this started. Think about where Achan made a mistake. Think about the casualties they took in chapter 7. But what are we doing in chapter 8? Victory. But victory in who? God. A tiny, insignificant city defeated Israel, but not by their power, but by Israel's sin. Uh, I will tell you this quick story. Uh, there's a gentleman. I told this in our BLT group, so BLTers, do you have to deal with it? Um, there was a young man that I was counseling, and he was giving his heart for the Lord, and he loved the Lord, and he was very passionate about God, but it just seemed like calamity followed him around. Like, he just could not get ahead. He could not get ahead at work. He couldn't get ahead with his family. He's just, he was just a guy that you just, wanted, you just wanted him to have a win, right? You're like, if he could just get one win, maybe we could get somewhere. And through our time of counseling, it kind of came out and revealed. I was like, how is your walk with the Lord? I mean, I see you in church. I see you taking notes. You're raising your hand in worship. I mean, I know you know scripture, what's going on. And then it was revealed. He had a secret issue. He had a secret sin. He, had, he was struggling with pornography. And he was locked up in it. And he could not escape that addiction. And I said, why, why are you so, so caught up on this? Why do you have so much places where you give the Lord the victory over here, but not over here? And he goes, I, I don't, I don't, feel good about myself. I don't have a value in myself. He's basically saying, I'm just an ugly person inside and out and nobody will ever love me. And I'm like, but Jesus died on the cross for you, but you're ugly and not worthy. I mean, Jesus would place that kind of value on you that he would stick to the place where he would lower himself from heaven, reach into your sin and pull you out. You think he doesn't love you. He's numbered every hair on your head. Every day he's interceding between you and the Lord on your behalf, but he doesn't. He goes, hey, you know, you're right. And I go, why don't you just start running towards that God and stop worrying about your value, start worrying about the value he put on you. But now all of a sudden he comes back and goes, 
Joey, I haven't been looking at pornography for one week. I haven't been looking for pornography two weeks. Then it became a month, and then it became six months, and then it became a year. And over that course of time, we saw so many places of victory, restoration between him and his parents, restoration between him and his siblings. All of a sudden, things started opening up at work, and I was like, don't you see? The only thing that was defeating you was your sin. There was no big boogie monster. There was no devaluing yourself. It was what the enemy had ravaged inside of you to make you believe that you were less than what God had said you had been because you had let one sin in your heart. And inside of here, all of a sudden, he's now a guy that wants to stand up and speak to other young men and go, hey, hold up. Let me tell you something. You may be addicted to pornography right now, but I got a victory to share with you. I want to show you the story of me. And now he's marching with these other young men through these things, and it would never have taken place until he had acknowledged his sin before the Lord, and then the Lord opened up through faith and obedience all the blessings. All the spiritual blessings on high places came rushing to him. Why? Because the Lord would not bless his curse. And inside of that, you can see this. It only takes obedience and listening to God. I want to put up this next slide for you about hidden sin and obedience. This is chapter 7 and chapter 8. Hope you can see it up on the screen. In chapter 7, what did we have? We didn't just have sin. We had hidden sin, right? Achan was hiding that sin. Why? Because he couldn't bring it out in the open because he wasn't living right before the Lord. But what did that teach him on the next slide there? It says, or in the next line, it says, self-reliance. I can do this. I don't need God's commands. I don't need to wait for AE. I don't know what that's going to be like, but I need this $31,000 today. Forget that the Lord might bless me with $31 million later on. I need this right now. So he says, I can do this. But if he had just opened himself up to obedience and relied on God, he would say, God can do this. He would have seen the blessing that would have flowed in chapter 8. But he missed it because his hidden sin was closer and more important. But what happened in chapter 7 because of hidden sin? He took the enemy for granted. And that enemy wasn't AIE. It was the enemy which is sin, death, and Satan. And now he's dead. But he had focused on God's strategy. What would happen? He would have received God's favor and blessing. This is how the glory of the Lord is revealed, not just to us, but through us to the world. The only difference between us and everybody else in the world is we live in the power, in the presence, and the love of God. Just think about the two different, it's the same army in chapter seven, and it's the same army in chapter eight. The only difference is one is following God and listening to God, and the, and, and the other one in chapter seven wasn't, and they failed. And this is how we renew our place of the Lord, is we acknowledge our sin before the Lord. And what is our sin? It's separation between us and God. Why would we want to let one little insignificant thing, although it's not, insignif it's not insignificant spiritually, but in our life, the meaningfulness. I remember this one time that the same gentleman that I was counseling turned back and said to me, he goes, you know what's the, the real regret that I have? All the time that I wasted away from the Lord. Being in pornography. It wasn't so much that it was just that, that it was evil. It's that it was worthless compared to my time that was so worthy of being with the Lord, right? Is God worthy of our time? Is he worthy? Is he beautiful? Does he have a plan? Does he have a strategy? Does he want to pour out favor and blessing? The Lord will never leave you. He will not be far from you, but he cannot bless you in your sin. Look at verse 30. And then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, 
an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrifices and fellowship, to the, uh, and fellowship offerings. And there in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses. So if you want some homework and you want to go back into it, you can look at Deuteronomy, I think 11 and 27. This is actually in that part. But what they would actually do is they would actually take stones. They wouldn't, like they said, alter them all. They would build the stone and then they would cover it plaster and they would actually write the law of the Lord and the words of the Lord on that altar and burn those to them. If, if you want to see what it looks like, there's a picture of this. Remember, look, there's chapter eight, chapter seven. Look at this, two hills. You can almost think of them as chapter eight, chapter seven. What they do, now this is a modern picture. You can see modern buildings, but these are those mountains, right? And so what, what they would do is they would put the Ark of the Covenant down the middle of these two mountains. And on one side, they would build an altar, and on that altar would be the, would be the Mount of Curses, Ebal, right? And they would go up there and they would sacrifice the animals and they would do these burnt offerings. And then they would turn and then they would face the other mountain and those would be all of God's blessings. Look at verse 33. Keep that picture up. All the Israelites with their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the ark. And they were facing the Levitical priests who carried it, both foreigners living among them and native-born were there. Isn't that amazing? Jews and Gentiles alike following in the promises of God. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. And as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded when he gave them instructions to bless the people of Israel, afterward Joshua read the words, all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all of that that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. And so as you can see on the picture of that screen, the, uh, going back to verse 30 is the way that it was you know, listed there. Um, it says, Joshua built an, on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord. So on Mount Ebal, you have all of your curses. And you can't actually take advantage of the promises of God until you get rid of your curses. So think about this. Even if you're in church, even if you're hearing the word of the Lord, if you are still dealing with your sin, then you're not listening to the promises of the Lord. But if you are listening to the promises of the Lord, right, you can now turn and face God's blessings. Now, I want to remind you about the Ark of the Covenant. What's another name of the Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat. Inside of this, if we were to look, I know, like I said, it's a modern picture, but you cannot pass the mercy seat until you sacrifice the worldly side of yourself. This is what, even in Scripture, the Lord is doing for us. God is specifically showing them to break the curse of sin. You have to face your sin, but you have to hear the Lord and listen to the Lord and follow the Lord. And when you now listen and follow the Lord, you pass by his mercy on the way to his blessings. This is not new to us, even though this seems like a very Old Testament thing. We're going to put Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 on the screen, and I want you to see how it works, even in the New Testament. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. But clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. But who is that faith in? The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. 
Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. We could just marinate on that. All of my sin and my failure absorbed by Jesus Christ. Look at the next part. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Verse 14, he has redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles or Sebastian, Florida, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You know what's amazing about this connection from Galatians to Joshua? Joshua would have to carry out the punishment of the Lord. Remember, Achan had stolen, so Joshua had to do what? Kill him and burn him. But look at God's new covenant for us. Jesus, also named Joshua, would become our punishment for us. All of the grace and mercy that you would ever need to have a deep relationship with God in the middle of your mistakes comes through the cross. Are there anybody here that needs their mistakes forgiven? Look no further than the cross. And that's God's plan for you. And so we have the opportunity right now to live righteously for the Lord. Why? Because God is never far. This is an important biblical truth. There is blessing on the other side of obedience. And where there is disobedience, there is judgment. That's plain and simple. So as sinners, first we need to acknowledge our sin before the Lord and understand this, the only cure that we're ever gonna have is Jesus Christ. That's it. And so as we pass from one point of understanding to the next point, understand this, it's God's desire for you not to stay on Mount Ebal, but to go to Mount Gerizim. By which way? Through his mercy. Pass by his promises, pass through his mercy. And then we can be obedient on the way to blessing and victory. Chapter seven, people died because they didn't follow the Lord. Chapter eight, they're getting double the blessing. They're getting two cities for the price of one. All because God said, do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. We're moving up and we're moving on. Come with me. Come with me. Your God doesn't come here into the world to condemn you. Your God came into the world to save you, to love you, to pour mercy and grace. We're gonna do this. We're gonna close here. Uh, I think this is a great time to do this and I don't think it's ever... Uh, we can do this enough, but you don't have to openly acknowledge it. If you are in a lifestyle or making choices or sinning against God or rebelling against God, not listening to God, maybe you don't even really know God. We're going to give you the opportunity to get close to the Lord right now. Um, I'm going to have everybody bow their head and close their eyes. I'm going to ask that nobody look around, but there is no time like the present to acknowledge before the Lord specifically what you are dealing with. Understand this, he already knows. Part of the reason I believe the Lord has us in this scripture, especially right after the book of Jonah, is to reveal inside of us secret sin and maybe personal idols that we have not openly acknowledged before the Lord. Um, so as we pray, I just ask that nobody look around. We just bow our heads, close our eyes. But if you are in this room right now and the Lord is speaking to you, and you have sin that needs to be dealt with, if you have sin that you need to lay down at Jesus' feet, please just raise your hand. And you want to get rid of it today. Understand that the Lord already knows what you're dealing with. Understand that the Lord is working on your behalf. Understand that these very words are a call to repentance so that you don't stay in that place, that you receive the blessing in favor of the Lord. God's promises are true. He will never leave you nor forsake you, but he will not bless you in your sin. 
And so as we acknowledge that today, as we work out our salvation before the Lord, Lord, we confess our sin to you. We want to be made righteous before you. You are so good to us. You are so kind and compassionate. You don't seek to destroy us. You put your punishment on your son for us on the cross so that we would not bear that wrath. So we enter into your mercy today. But first we must acknowledge we do have sin. We confess our sin to our Savior, that your blood would wash us as white as snow. Thank you for those hands that are raised, but if there's anybody else that needs to, just call upon the Lord, whether it's by voice or by your heart, just say, Lord, forgive me, and I know your forgiveness is not far. And that the chains of bondage and the chains of slavery are broken free. If you are interceding for somebody in your house or somebody else in your life, just call on and say, on their behalf, Lord, reach them. Break their heart from what breaks yours. We want to be obedient. We want to faithfully follow your commands. And we want to go where you go. We want to be on our way to blessing and victory. Let our story become your glory. Let the brokenness out of it come. Great testimony of how patient and kind and good our Father really is. There's no safer place to land than in the arms of Jesus Christ. He left the 99 to go find the one. You are the sheep that he left heaven for. Your good shepherd calls you, and now you are free, you are safe, and you are in the blessing of the Holy Spirit, as that final verse says, so that by faith we may receive the promise of the Spirit, but we are first in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for sitting on the throne of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.